Hi everyone, it's great to be with you today as we continue our series on worship. We've been looking over the past few weeks about what worship is. You know, before lockdown when we're still able to sing together, perhaps we might have said, I love the worship at our church. And in saying that, you're saying, I love the songs that we sing. I love the way they're arranged. I love the kind of music that we play. But because we've not been able to sing together, it's been a great opportunity to remind ourselves that actually worship is so much more than singing songs, isn't it? When we worship something, it's something that we give our time and our attention to. And in truth, we're all worshipping something, whether we're worshipping sport or work or God or family or a hobby, whatever it is that we're worshipping, we're putting that thing first. And so we've been talking about what it means to worship God and those things that are important to us as Vineyard family as we do that. First of all, we looked at intimacy. We looked at the fact that we can have a personal relationship with Jesus, that he loved us so much that he died on the cross and he rose again so that we can have friendship with him. And Paul reminded us about how we come to worship and we learn more about God. He's revealed to us and we can experience his presence as we respond to him. And then we looked at integrity. We talked about how worship is not just about the words that we say or the songs that we sing, but it's what's going on in our hearts. It's very good, very easy to put on a good show and yet our hearts not be in it. But worship really is about the way that we live our lives and having integrity means that the things that we say and the things that we're doing match up. And then last week, Paul and Katie reminded us about kingdom expectation, the wonderful truth that although worship is for God, it's not for us. Actually, when we come towards him, he is so kind and he meets us and he changes us as we look at him. And also he changes our situations and he changes our circumstances. And so this week, we're looking at the value of passion. Now, I don't know what you think about when you um, hear the word passion. Perhaps you think about somebody who is passionate about sport or someone who's passionate about fine dining or going to the theatre or someone who's passionate about their spouse. I hope you say that about many people that you know. But you know, the word passion doesn't just talk about a strong feeling. The root of the word passion comes from a Latin word, patior, which means to bear or to suffer or to endure. And the word passion describes the events that were leading up to Jesus's death on the cross and his resurrection. And we're going to look today at Jesus's passion, our passion, how we respond to him in worship and what we do when we're not feeling it. Jesse Dooley, who's a worship leader in um, one of the Scottish vineyards, says this about passion. Passion is an expression of the fire in our hearts that keeps us worshipping with sacrificial extravagance in every situation. And Laura, who's part of our worship community, has this to say about passion. Thinking about passion, one of the scriptures that comes to mind is Romans 12, 11, which says, don't burn out, keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Just like in our relationships, our passion for Jesus burns stronger or weaker, depending on how much we fuel it. And it led me to believe that passion isn't a feeling like so many people think it is, but it's a choice. The more passionate we feel about something, the more we want to experience it. And so in terms of worship, 
passion for Jesus really fuels the intimacy and the deeper we want to go with him. And this in turn for, informs our authenticity, how real we are when we do worship, which then reinforces our integrity and our belief in kingdom expectation. So really passion is so important. It goes beyond just knowing the truth, but connecting with the vitality of the Holy Spirit living and breathing in us. One thing I found helpful, um, again, to try and develop this passion is to really think about the lyrics to a song and like, connect them to a time or a place where I felt God's power or presence or where he's kept his promise in my life. I can think of one of the times when um, our first baby was really young and feeling overwhelmed in the middle of the night uh, um, and just remembering the lines from I cry out um, for you are good and your promise never fails me and I really felt connected to God then and even though I was by myself in the middle of the night with a baby um, I just felt his really sweet presence there with me and the last thing I thought is that passion um, is really holding up a reflector which shows us how much God cherishes us, how much he desires us and pursues us. Passion isn't something we have to conjure up or manufacture. We just learn it by being with him and choosing to spend that time with him. Thank you, Laura. Now, about 15 years ago, Mel Gibson produced a well-known film. It was called The Passion of the Christ and it depicted the events um, leading up to Jesus's arrest, his trial, his death and his resurrection. His passion wasn't a time of excitement, but instead of enduring and overcoming every obstacle that was put in his way. And so why did he do it? Well, Hebrews 12 tells us this, and we're reading this from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. It comes off the back of Hebrews 11, where it talks about people of faith. And it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame and now he's seated in the place of honour beside God's throne. And so he, here we see Jesus going through the emotional and the physical torment and abuse of the, the worst of, of deaths, a Roman crucifixion, being able to endure it because of the joy set before him. And I think that joy is summed up in two ways. The joy is, as it says here, being sat in the place of honour beside God's throne. He knew he was going to be reunited with God. But he had been with God before. And so what was it that made him come to earth and live that life and die that death so that he could go back to that place? Well, I think the joy set before him was that he was going to have friendship with us that he went through what he did because he loved us so much. That was his driver, that was his motivation. That relationship with us, with me, with you, was so precious to him 
but it was worth going through all that. I find that really humbling. In a little while, we're going to have the chance to share communion together and to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. So we've thought about Jesus' passion. Now we're just going to think a little bit about, so what does passion in our worship look like? Well, if I were to ask you about passionate worship, I mean, you might want to put this in the, in the chat in Facebook. What does passionate worship look like to you? Why don't you write that now? Perhaps for you, passionate worship looks like shouting and dancing and raising your hands and waving. You know, at a football match, you express your passion and your adoration, if you like, for your team by cheering and shouting and waving flags. And sometimes in worship, our joy and our expression of love for God kind of overflows into what we do physically, doesn't it? But what do we do then in those seasons when we're not feeling it? You know, in fruitful and good times, it's really easy to worship God. It's great to sing those songs when the sun is shining to thank him for the blessings and the benefits that we enjoy. But in those times when things are hard, when we're disappointed, when we're in lockdown again, it gets much tougher. And in, maybe in physical lockdown, it's a time when we feel like we're locking down our hearts where we're just turning in on ourselves, where we're just trying to deal with our disappointments. And as I thought about these different seasons, good and bad, I thought, well, what's changed? Has God changed? Well, no, the Bible tells us that he is the same. All that has changed is our circumstances. And so in good times and in bad, he is still worthy of our worship. I love that Matt Redmond song, uh, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. And he describes, you know, the sun comes up, there's a new day dawning, there are good things happening. And yet another verse talks about, and what about the hard times too? The chorus is, whatever may pass, whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. And I think what he's saying is, look, regardless of my circumstances, I want my heart to be turned towards you. As followers of Jesus, the Bible is really clear that we should expect times of difficulty and suffering and pain. That is part of following Jesus. That's what his life was like. And if we're going to be following him, that's what our lives are going to be like too. But in Hebrews 12, do you remember, it says, look, let's strip off the things that hold us back, every weight that slows us down and the sin that trips us up. And let's run with endurance, or another version says perseverance, the race marked out for us. And so how do we do that? What does it look like? Well, here's David, and he's going to tell us a little bit about what passionate worship looks like for him. What passionate worship means to me is consistency. It's not necessarily the being loud or jumping around or waving your hands in the air. I think for some people it is, and, and that's great. To me, it doesn't always look like that. The passionate worship is consistently coming to a place of worship, no matter how I'm feeling. So no matter how my week has been uh, or what kind of day I've had, whatever emotion is uh, at the forefront of, of my mind at the time, it's still coming into a place of worship, despite what I'm feeling. I think passionate worship covers and encompasses every human emotion that we can feel. So we have excitement and joy and gratitude, and that's amazing. 
but also times of confusion or uh, sorrow or loss or lament. And passionate worship is recognizing that we can come into his presence with that attitude of praise, no matter how we're feeling. Thanks, David. As we think about the choices that we have to make as we come to worship God, I think they can be kind of put into three categories. The first is choosing to follow Jesus to the cross. And what I mean by that is choosing to live a life that is completely surrendered to him. When Jesus went to the cross, he did that out of obedience to the Father, to Father God. There were points, I'm sure, where he just thought, I could get out of this if I wanted to. And in fact, he did say, didn't he, to God, look, why have you forsaken me? Why am I experiencing this separation from you? And yet, he went through it. And the invitation to us is to lay down our lives too, is to surrender our plans and our dreams and our hopes and just to say to him each day, each moment, what is it that you want me to do? What's your priority here? How do I follow you in this situation? So we choose to follow him to the cross. The second thing I think we can choose to do is to choose to trust in his goodness, whatever the circumstances And Paul and Katie talked about this last week, didn't they? About remembering the good things that God has done when we're in tough times. When our situation, our circumstances are just not understandable, where we don't see where God is. We look back and remember the truths of the Bible, the things that we've seen in our own lives and the things that we've seen in other people's lives too. So choosing to trust in the goodness of God. And then finally, choosing to express God's worth in sacrificial extravagance. I love that story um, from John. It's in John chapter 12. And it's a story about the woman who came to Jesus with a bottle of expensive perfume. Maybe it was her dowry. It was certainly of huge worth. And she broke the perfume jar open and the perfume just flooded over Jesus and the fragrance filled the house. You know, she loved him so much that she came and gave him extravagantly what belonged to her what was probably um, her safety for the future and she kind of poured it all out on him and I thought what does that look like for us in this season what does it mean to worship extravagantly is it a case of on dark mornings getting up earlier to pray even when you'd rather be under the duvet maybe there is something about financially giving about choosing not to spend money on what you wanted for yourself so that you can give to somebody who needs it more than you do. Perhaps it's a case of when you've come back from a busy day, when you've been working or looking after the kids or whatever you've been doing, to choose to contact someone who you know needs some encouragement, maybe a family member, a friend or a neighbour, to sacrifice your time to give of yourself when you'd really rather not. Perhaps we might take a moment now because we're going to be sharing communion together. David is going to lead us in a song, and then Chatan and Joy are going to lead us in communion. And I wonder, just in the quiet for a moment, whether you might like to think about what it looks like in this season for you to follow Jesus to the cross, to choose to trust in his goodness, and to express God's worth sacrificially. So let's take a moment of quiet, and then it's over to David.
And so as we think about passion in worship, today I just wanted us to talk about, so what happens if I'm not feeling it? What if I feel that I've lost my passion? You know, perhaps in this season you have found that the stress and the disappointment and the losses and the griefs have just dulled your heart. And you're just thinking, what is the point of worshipping God? Where is he anyway? Last week when the latest lockdown was announced, my heart sank, to be honest. I felt really overwhelmed by just concern for some people that I really love. And I felt deeply sad because we were supposed to be visiting our kids in Northern Ireland and we've had two trips cancelled and we can't see them. And we haven't seen them for, for many weeks now. And also I just felt quite stressed because we've organised some brilliant things, some great ways for the church family to connect in the run up to Christmas and we're having to reorganise everything. And I just thought, God, what is going on here? What is this about? And perhaps it's been the same for you. Perhaps over the past few days or weeks or months, the disappointments and the sadness and the griefs and the losses have built up for you and your heart is just feeling dull. Maybe you've had extensive griefs. Maybe you've had the loss of a loved one or somebody who's been in a nursing home and you've not been able to visit them for a long time or is in hospital. Maybe you've lost a job. Perhaps there are dreams and plans that you've been looking forward to for a long time and those can't happen. Well, I wanted to remind you today that if that is the case, that there is still hope. And today, I felt like I wanted to offer you an amnesty because perhaps you've just felt like you can't even turn your heart back to God. Maybe you want to, but you just don't even know how to. And as I was praying and thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, I was just reminded of um, a story in Matthew, Matthew chapter nine, where somebody came to see Jesus. And in fact, the guy didn't come on his own. The guy was brought by his friends because he was paralysed. I'm going to read to you now. It says, Matthew chapter 9. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralysed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralysed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. And maybe in this season you feel paralysed. Maybe you feel stuck in your situation, stuck in a routine or a lifestyle that you don't want to be in, feeling helpless or even ashamed that you can't get out of that cycle, knowing that you, you should be connecting with friends, you should maybe be going to life group or you should be reading your Bible or connecting with God, and yet you're not. You're just stuck in that place of almost not caring. Maybe you feel without hope and without purpose in this time. Well, you know, the paralysed man didn't come to Jesus on his own. He had to be brought by his friends. He was in a place where he just couldn't really do anything for himself. And if you feel like that today, I just wanted to encourage you with two things. You might even be saying, who even would bring me to Jesus? And I want you to know that we, Nigel and I, and some of the other leaders in church have been praying for you. Over this time, we've been praying that we, as in our prayers, would be, would be bringing you to Jesus, would be bringing you to a place where you can recognise you're stuck and you feel paralysed and you need his help. You know, there have been definite times in my life where I've felt really stuck. And the way the people who brought me to Jesus sometimes have been songwriters as I've listened to a worship song and I've borrowed the words that they've written. And that, for me, has become a prayer when I didn't have the words to say. 
There have been other friends who've brought me to Jesus either by praying for me, whether I knew about it or not at the time, or by speaking those words of hope and encouragement and life to me, reminding me who God is, reminding me of his purposes in my life. And so today I want to do that for you. I want to remind you that you are loved, that you are treasured, that you are wanted, and that Jesus welcomes you. Because the other incredible thing that it tells us in the Bible is that Jesus is there now at the right hand of Father God and he is interceding for us. He is praying for us. And so you don't even need people to bring you to Jesus because Jesus is praying that you would be with him too. That's the deepest longing of his heart. So there's an amnesty today that in your paralysis, if you can even just whisper in your heart, just go, please, Jesus, yes. And turn your face back towards him. His arms are open wide. There is no condemnation. There is just love for you. You know, I find it really interesting what he said. The first thing he said to the paralyzed man was this, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. And perhaps in this time of lockdown, you're very aware of your sins. Perhaps you've got into a cycle of a past addiction, maybe looking at pornography, maybe drinking too much. Maybe you've been really angry with your kids. Maybe any kind of sin or thing that's keeping you from God. And Jesus doesn't condemn you. He says your sins are forgiven. And so in communion at the end of the service, there's a time when you can just say sorry, where you can choose to come back to him and know that because of what he did on the cross, our sins are forgiven. But you know, the account goes on and the teachers of religious law, the religious leaders there were really affronted that Jesus would say to this guy that his sins were forgiven. So Jesus says, okay, fair enough, that's fine. Which is easier, saying your sins are forgiven or saying, stand up and walk. And in verse six, it says, so I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And I did wonder what that was like for him. I wondered what choices he had to make. Because in his situation of paralysis, you know, sometimes in our situations of pain and difficulty, we're stuck, but actually they're familiar and they're safe. And it's quite scary to think about stepping out of them. It's scary to think about making a choice that makes things different. When he got up and he picked up his mat and he went home, that would have been a wonderful wow moment, wouldn't it? But also that would have changed everything. Because who knows how home was arranged. He could have slept in a different place now he was physically able to get there. Perhaps there were people at home who had organised their whole lives around caring for him and he wasn't going to need that anymore. Perhaps there were people who were dependent on his paralysis and his situation for their own needs and wants. And so in choosing to get up and pick up his mat, he was stepping into a really uncertain future, a future of real change. And that is the same for us. When we choose to follow Jesus, it changes the status quo. As our priorities of time and how we spend our money and how we live our lives change, then that's not always comfortable for those people around us or even for us ourselves. And yet it's so worth it. 
And the paralyzed man decided it was for him. It says in verse seven that he jumped up and he went home. And so today I just wanted to give you a moment to think that in this season, is there anything that you need to be forgiven for? And is there anything that you need to be healed from? Because Jesus did those two things for the paralyzed man. He forgave him his sins and he healed him of his paralysis. And maybe in this season, you need to be healed of or forgiven for a lack of faith. Maybe it's just a sense of apathy. Perhaps it's a shame, a sense of shame that you feel like you should be doing better. Maybe you just feel deeply embarrassed that you're in this situation again and you know that you shouldn't be wherever you are in your cycle of, of despair or of loneliness or of isolation or of doing the wrong thing. Perhaps you feel embarrassed and afraid of what the future will be. Maybe you're angry because people have let you down. Jesus wants to meet you in each of these places and any other place that you find yourself. He wants to speak those words of forgiveness over you. My child, be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. And he wants to give you the opportunity to jump up and come home. To respond to him and have a new and different future. some time to worship together and David's going to lead us but first of all I just love to pray come Holy Spirit Lord Jesus we're so grateful for your love for us for your kindness for us that you see us in the midst of our paralysis our confusion our sadness our disappointment and your word to us is always love and forgiveness. I just ask that you come now, dear Holy Spirit. That you meet each one. That you just make your, your presence more obvious in our homes now. Lord, those of us who feel so paralysed that even just it, we can just flicker an eye towards you, thank you that you see that. And I just want to pray for each of us for the courage to turn our hearts back towards you again. And that you would come and meet us, forgive us and heal us and renew us. Come, Holy Spirit.